there. Welcome to episode number 13 of the Practical EdTech Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk about some news and notes from the world of EdTech, including some really cool things that came out from Microsoft this week. I'm going to share some thoughts that I have about teaching computer science after my third full week in the classroom. And I'm going to answer a handful of questions from readers and viewers and listeners like you. My first listener-specific question this week. So let's jump right into it with some news and notes from the world of EdTech. So a couple weeks ago, I wrote a blog post and made a video about a really cool tool called Snack Vids. Snack Vids has been rebranded in the last couple of weeks as Vid Reader. It does the exact same thing that it does be, did, did before, and that is it turns any English YouTube video, so any YouTube video that's in English, it will create a searchable transcript of that video. Even better, this transcript will be hyperlinked so that the words in the transcript can jump you directly to a spot in the video. It's a really cool tool. Check it out. Uh, like any automatic transition tool or translation tool, I should say. Uh, There are some little quirks to it. If you don't speak clearly or you mumble, maybe the words aren't transcribed exactly as they should have been, but uh, it's still a really, really interesting tool, good tool. All right, now in Microsoft, Microsoft made a ton of updates this week all around accessibility for classroom tools, all around immersive reader. So number one, uh, if you're a Microsoft Forms user, and I love Microsoft Forms. In fact, in some ways, I think it's better than Google Forms. Uh, Immersive Reader is now a part of Microsoft Forms. What that means is that your students will hear the questions read aloud. They'll hear the answer choices read aloud. And they'll hear it without hearing any of the other stuff that might be on the page. So it's just going to be the questions and the answer choices. Really great accessibility feature uh, now available in Microsoft Forms. Immersive Reader just keeps rolling out to more and more tools all the time. Really great tool. And in the next week or so, I'm going to be catching up with the product manager for that tool. And we'll be uh, talking on the podcast. So it's going to be a a great podcast you want to listen to. Um, So some other Microsoft things. Dictation has long been a part of PowerPoint and Word and is now available in the web version of PowerPoint. So if you use PowerPoint in your web browser, you now have the access to the dictation tool or the uh, speech to text tool available in PowerPoint, now available in the web version, not just in the desktop version. Great news for Chromebook users or anyone else who doesn't have PowerPoint installed. Sticking with PowerPoint, Presenter Coach is a tool that Microsoft announced back in June. Uh, It's a tool that will give you feedback on your presentation. Like if you say um too many times, or if you say so, like I tend to do, it will tell you that. It will tell you if you're speaking too fast, if you're speaking too slowly. It will give you some suggested other words to use or other phrases to use. That presenter coach tool was available in a beta. It's now available in PowerPoint's web version. So if you want to try that out, open up PowerPoint in your web browser 
and give it a try. If you want to know what some of the other updates were, I have a link in the speaker notes or the show notes for today where you can see all of the updates to Microsoft's Inclusive Classroom tools. We're about a third of the way through October right now. I'm looking forward to Halloween. My kids are looking forward to Halloween more than I am, but uh, that's beside the point. We're about a third of the way through, the, through October. October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and a couple of weeks ago I published a blog post that had a whole bunch of digital citizenship resources in it. Uh, I've just updated that to include another tool, another resource called Stop Think Connect. You'll find it at stopthinkconnect.org. Go to stopthinkconnect.org, click on their resources button. They have a bunch of PDFs and PowerPoint, uh, not PowerPoints, uh, PDFs and videos that you can download or just use in your classroom in your web browser, uh, all about how to be safe online. These are things that are applicable to students, but also are applicable to adults. And all these resources are available in multiple languages. So if you're looking to you know, send some things home with your students about cybersecurity and digital, digital citizenship, check out the resources available at stopthinkconnect.org and print them out. If it's a PDF, print it out and send it home. If you're trying to improve you know, cybersecurity awareness, not only in your classroom, but at home as well. Eric Kurtz has a fantastic blog. He's a great person to follow on Twitter. Uh, his blog is Control All Achieve. One of the things that he shared on Twitter this week is a site that I haven't seen before. It's called EduCandy, educandy.com. And it's a free tool that you can use to create simple little review games like hangman style games, bingo games, uh, little quiz games. It's automatic. These games are automatically created once you provide a vocabulary list or a list of questions. It will make the game for you. Kind of like some of the tools that Flippity provides, uh, but a little bit slicker and without the use of a spreadsheet. So check that out. Uh, educandy.com and while you're at it also check out Eric's blog control alt achieve he has some great resources particularly around interesting ways to use uh, Google products in your classroom uh, and speaking of interesting ways to use Google products in your classroom over on my blog edtechfitness.com this week I shared five interesting ways to use Google slides in your classroom that don't include just making a presentation. So included in that are uh, how to make a Jeopardy style game, choose your own adventure stories, uh, and also did how to use Google Slides to design a mobile app, which is something I'm doing right now with my computer science students. So go to edtechfitness.com and that's at the top of the page. Speaking of edtechfitness.com, this weekend, as in Saturday, tomorrow, a day from right now, uh, I'm going to be speaking at the Shape conference in Oregon. And I'm really looking forward to that. It's my first conference. It's really dedicated to physical education and health education. So uh, looking forward to being there. If you happen to be there too, please say hello. Uh, I'm not sure how big the conference is, but I'm looking forward to going to it. Uh, speaking of uh, or staying on the topic of October, 
and Halloween coming up. Uh, Larry Ferlazzo this week shared some great news about ReadWorks. ReadWorks.org offers lots of ELA articles and they published an article or a collection of Halloween-themed ELA, ELA articles. And this week, Larry Falazzo shared with me, uh, or not just with me, with the whole world, that ReadWorks will now let you, let your students pick their own articles. So previously, you would have to go through and choose an article for your students to read. Now, students can go in and pick their own articles. They call it student libraries. It's a great addition to to ReadWorks. Uh, ReadWorks, if you do decide to use it as a teacher and pick your own articles, uh, rather than having kids pick the articles, it does come with some reading comprehension questions and some vocab uh, questions. So check out uh, ReadWorks.org for their Halloween-themed ELA articles and decide if you want to pick your pick your articles or let kids pick the articles. Um, one last new little tool that I've discovered just in the last couple of days is Summary Box. You'll find it at summarybox.com. It reminds me a little bit of Summarize This, which I've used for many years. Summarybox.com will let you paste in an article link and it will create a summary of a long article. Now, you can use this as a Chrome extension or simply just go to summarybox.com and use it in any web browser. And this is a nice little tool if, you, if your students are coming across long articles in their research and they want to just get the bullet points out of it. It's a nice little, nice little tool for them. Uh, obviously not a replacement for reading an entire article, but if they're doing some research and they need to kind of quickly gather or synthesize a lot of ideas, of summary box might be a good option for them. Likewise, summarizethis.com does a very similar thing. I've used summarizethis.com for many, many years uh, with a lot of different students. And last but not least, in the links that I want to share with you, setbc, uh, you find it at setbc.org. If you're watching the video version of this podcast, you'll see me bring it up on the screen here. Uh, I gave the keynote at their um, big conference in Vancouver back in February, and they were kind enough to put up the video of that. In fact, they broke it out into four parts. It was a particularly long keynote. It was about an hour and 45 minutes that they wanted me to do, which is about twice as long as a typical keynote that I give. So they broke it out into four sections and they also have the slides in there as well. So if you wanna see uh, the keynote that, I've, that I gave recently, or not recently, but uh, eight months ago, please go ahead and check it out. Someone had asked me uh, about videos for my speaking engagements and uh, that's uh, the one that came to mind right away. So, a few thoughts about my third week of teaching computer science. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've found is really great about teaching computer science is that when the tech doesn't work, that actually becomes the lesson for the day. Uh, you know, I think like anyone who's teaching a new course for the first time or a new to them course for the first time, like I am, I've never taught computer science before, I went into it a little bit apprehensive in many ways. I was excited in many ways, but also apprehensive about you know, just knowing everything 
and you can't know everything. And I, I knew that, but still, you want to try to know everything. And so I had a lesson this week that uh, didn't go as planned because there were some uh, computer problems that I didn't account for or didn't anticipate. And so that actually became a lesson for the day. So that's a great thing. Uh, great thing about teaching computer science is when the tech doesn't work, yeah, it just becomes a lesson for the day. Uh, no one has asked me, are we doing anything fun today? In three weeks, I've never had anyone ask me, are we doing anything fun today? When I taught social studies, I seem to get that question all the time. Don't get that question at all anymore. Probably that's the nature of the course and the nature of being an elective. But yeah, I've never been asked in the last three weeks, are we doing anything fun today? Uh, on that note, I'm still struggling with how to give my students a grade. Uh, we're coming up to the end of the quarter pretty quickly. It's really quickly for me because I wasn't there for the first part of it, first half of it. And so I'm struggling with how to gr give my students a grade in the grade book. Uh, yeah, the assessment piece is easy. I can see what they know, what they don't know through the hands-on activities. And really this course is designed to get kids to just do things right? and make things. But you know, the school says you have to grade. So got to give a grade. Uh, so I'm struggling with the grading on, the, on that part. I don't have an answer for it. If you teach, if you teach computer science, uh, please let me know. I mean, I can do vocab things, you know, that sort of stuff. But really trying to give a grade has become kind of tricky for me so far. And the last little thing I'll share with you from my week in the classroom, this week in the classroom, is that Kids are kids, and I am not up on my memes at all. I told you last week that I got a TikTok account, thanks to my freshman students. Uh, this week, they were talking about a whole bunch of memes. Uh, my sophomore class is designing some apps. Uh, actually, my freshman app class is, too. They're just doing it in a different way. Uh, but my sophomore class was designing an app, and one of my students is doing an app about memes and the history of memes. I am not up on the current ones at all, is what I learned from from her work this week. All right. So some questions from readers, listeners, and viewers like you. Uh, number one came from Rita. Hey, Richard, I started an online sign-in for a mid-morning period when many teachers have students, not quite a study hall, not quite a class. <laughs> and if you're reading the transcript, it says A-P-I-T-A. I have to limit the number of students coming to the library. Or I'll be overrun and it'll be chaos. I put a form limiter on the Google form and open it for signups at the beginning of the period. I noticed that the same few kids have been coming in every day and their names are always listed first. I was told that they somehow fill in the sign-in form ahead of time so that when they open it up, they automatically populate the responses first. Is this true? If so, is there a way to not have this happen? Thanks, Rita. So I had a couple of suggestions for Rita. We went back and forth a couple of times to kind of get to the root of this. The root of it was that her form, uh, she had enabled the option for students must be signed in. Uh, so that was pre-populating. As soon as students opened the form to, uh, to sign up, they were pre-populating the form. So whoever signed up first, boom, their information was in there. There's that piece. Uh, but the other solution, I, in form limiter, the form limiter add-on will only cap the number of responses or set a time limit it won't set a start time. So to set a start time, what I suggested is put the form in Google Classroom and then 
make it in a timed um, or a scheduled assignment or a scheduled post in Google Classroom so that uh, no one can access the form before you want them to access it. So they'll have to go to your Google Classroom and if it's, you know, you don't want the form open until 11.30, well, it won't appear until 11.30 by using the scheduling tool that's available in Google Classroom. Uh, a question came from Dawn. Hey, Richard, I have a spreadsheet that for some reason when I add it to an assignment, it won't let me set it up so it makes a copy for each student. I can't figure out why. Do you have any clues? Thanks, Dawn. I have a couple of theories for Dawn. Uh, number one is that to make sure that you have not in the share advanced settings ticked the little box that says prevent uh, viewers and editors from making copies. So make sure you have that. Also make sure that you're signed into the right Google account. If you have multiple Google accounts and one is the default and one's not the default, you might be defaulting to the wrong one. So those are my two suggestions there. All right, I had a question from Paul, and this is a long one, so stick with me here. Thank you for doing this podcast. I've been a subscriber to the email for several years now, but I find it difficult to properly digest the contents while I'm working. Since I discovered your podcast version a couple weeks ago, I've incorporated it into my workday as a bit of personal PD. On top of that, I enjoy listening to it. Thanks, Paul. I appreciate that. My question is, what would you recommend as a free tweet wall option? So, um, there's a lot of paid services for this, and, you know, depending on how you want to use it, a paid service may or may not be worth the, the cost. They're all kind of pricey, actually. Uh, I think the cheapest one that I found in my Google search uh, was about $40 per use. So, it's not really cost-effective for a school. So what I would recommend doing is creating a, uh, a Hootsuite account or a TweetDeck account, either one, and then displaying just one column. You can restrict it to, to display just one column and make that column be a particular hashtag that you have set. You know, the hashtag for your event, or the hashtag for your, uh, for your class, just display that one column in either Hootsuite or TweetDeck, do that. All right. um, so, Scott sent me a question. Big fan of your blog and have used much of what you post about. I too am one-to-one -one laptops, use tech exclusively. Um, one thing I struggle with is as a user is a user-friendly newspaper magazine creator that kids can build throughout the school year. Where a Google Docs school and using pages is cumbersome with the saving, uploading, downloading, etc. Any ideas? So, fortunately, Google Docs continues to evolve and making templates and using templates is a lot easier than it used to be. So there's that piece of it. I used to recommend Lucid Press, but it's become, it's become a little bit cost prohibitive for most schools. But you can check out Lucid Press. Uh, I, I, really, I used to describe, I still do describe Lucid Press as Apple's Pages meets Google Docs, but it's gotten a little bit pricey. Uh, so depending on how much you're going to use it, it might be worth a subscription, might not be worth a su subscription. Barring that, I would look at Canva, C-A-N-V-A, canva.com. It has a lot of great templates for that. And the last question came from Julie, 
who says, now that you're teaching computer science, I have a computer science question for you. My principal has asked me to explore making a makerspace in our library. I've been doing some research on this and everyone seems to indicate that it should have a 3D printer. My questions for you are, is this appropriate for elementary school? Have you seen any makerspaces that don't have 3D printers? So uh, the answer to that is yes and yes. <laughs> the short version is yes. I have seen plenty of elementary schools that have 3D printers. Uh, is it essential? No, it's not essential for an elementary school makerspace to have a 3D printer. Uh, you know, the elementary schools that I've seen that have 3D printers in their makerspaces, there's been a lot of, um, I'll say hand-holding, uh, a lot of hands-on time from the teacher or the librarian or whoever's in charge of that space. Uh, you know, really walking students through not only the design process, but also the process of just actually using the 3D printer. Uh, and so in that regard, it kind of takes away from the maker aspect of the makerspace when it becomes you teaching a design concept and you teaching how to use the 3D printer all the time. Uh, I think that really the idea of a makerspace is more for students to tinker and explore with less guidance from you. So in that regard, you know, yeah, you can make a makerspace that doesn't have a 3D printer. Uh, you know, depending on the age of the elementary school students you're talking about, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, you might start looking at some Arduino, doing some stuff with Arduino or perhaps Raspberry Pi. You know, you can go and uh, go to Arduino.cc and check out the Project Hub and see the, you know there are projects appropriate for elementary school. You can buy kits that have uh, all the pieces that you need for different projects. So you might take a look at doing that. So don't don't feel like your makerspace has to have a 3D printer right from the jump. Uh, that might be something you work into over time. Right. So that's that. So on that note, if you've enjoyed today's episode of the podcast, please feel free to share it with your friends. If you have a question for me, I'd love to hear from you. Send me an email. Richard at burn.media is my email address. And if you happen to be in Oregon tomorrow, Saturday, uh, October 12th, and you're looking for something to do, stop by the Shape Conference in Bend, and I'd love to say hi. All right. Have a great weekend, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. See you next time.